Blog Talk Radio. Hello. Hello. I have an emergency. What is your location? Well, welcome to Rescue Radio, and uh, I'm Jerry. And I'm Margie. Yeah, and we're here. We have a wonderful guest here this evening. And uh, before we uh, introduce him, Margie, would you just lead us in prayer, please? Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you for this opportunity and this awesome privilege to hear what you have to say to your people, Lord, through your servants. And we thank you for Reuben tonight, who's going to be sharing with us understanding the times, the signs of the times. And so I pray that you now give us ears to hear and eyes to see, a heart to receive the revelation of your truth, Lord. We know there's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of information, a lot of sources. Some of them are corrupted. Some of them are accurate. Hard to tell what's what sometimes, Lord. But I pray that you'd give us discernment and clarity and that the people who um, need to hear this will be encouraged by it and uh, strengthened, Lord God, that you give us, again, the uh, spirit to discern your Holy Spirit, to discern what's going on. We also ask for divine protection over us. Cover us, Father God, and all that pertains to us and our families, that the weapons formed against us will not prosper, because you have given us power over all the power of the enemy through your uh, Holy Spirit. And we thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for us. So we praise you and thank you for this opportunity. Now, bless and help us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we have uh, Reuben David is with us tonight. Welcome, Reuben. Oh, it's a joy to be here, you guys. <laughs> yeah, so let's start out by just, uh, t- can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your ministry, and uh, kind of what's going on right now for you? Uh, well, I'm so delighted to be with both of you and um, about myself. I was born and raised in India, in the southern part of the country city called Bangalore and of course um, India is a pretty complex country with a lot of people in it (laughs) and Mm -hmm. uh, as you look at my family um, it can be traced to the Hindu lineage where my Mm -hmm. parents uh, came out of that Hindu background and in a very miraculous uh, manner uh, the Lord Jesus Christ uh, appeared to my mother and in, in that dramatic setting, my mother became a Christian. And in a sense, we were the first Christians in that part of the <clears throat> town. And so ever since that conversion happened, um, as a family, we came to know the Lord Jesus. And as a family, we all became Christians. And it was quite a journey for us. And uh, little did I know the Lord will have me cross the oceans and be another part of the world here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. So uh, it has all been God's ultimate plan. And so yeah. growing up in India, I was very curious as to why uh, Jesus was very unique. And that um, curiosity set me to explore uh, the uniqueness of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, among other religions in the world. Because in India... 
I grew up in, in, a, in a culture that had many religions like Hinduism and Islam and Buddhism and many other uh, spiritual practices. Mm-hmm. And so my ministry, as I look back now, is to, is to make a case for the supremacy and the uniqueness of Jesus among world religions. And um, we're living in a time, you know, that's exactly what Peter is saying. Always be ready to give an answer Mm -hmm. uh, for the hope that is within you. So it is Christian apologetics, giving reasons as to why Jesus makes more sense to believe. (laughs) That is a very good uh, job to have these days because there's a lot of people who say, well, he's just one among many stories and I'd love to talk to you. I think we should probably have another show and talk about the uniqueness of Jesus among the, how many millions of gods are there in India? 360 million? Yeah, yeah, 330 million gods and goddesses in the Hindu pantheon alone. Wow. (laughs) And so you found the one true God in the midst of three million. Yes. (laughs) That's awesome. 330 million. But, uh, all right. Well, Great. Uh, now, listen, um, what about, you know, we're talking tonight about understanding signs mm-hmm. of the times, mm-hmm. okay? And uh, what would you say, you know, are some of the uh, signs, maybe unique signs of the times that we're <laughs> experiencing? I know this is a big area, but uh, yeah. how, how would you say are some of the signs of the times has uh, as to right. kind of where we're heading as far as America is concerned, particularly. Yeah, you're right. You know, this very um, topic, understanding uh, the science of the times, is, is a subject that is a very peculiar subject. Not many people um, spend their time thinking about what's going on in the world and what's happening. I think it is Christians, and uh, it is us who actually... Uh, wonder uh, what is there, what is going on in our world because we believe in the second mm-hmm. coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, mm-hmm. There are religious people in this world who could care less as to what's happening in the world because they have no idea that mm-hmm. somebody's going to come back into the world. That is, Jesus is coming back. And so in, in light of that, for us as a Christian, uh, the Bible is very clear that uh, we will see certain signs. And I, I want to get to that. But I want to give a scripture that actually points uh, to us as believers uh, that there is a a precedence in the Old Testament. For example, in the book of 1 Chronicles, chapter 12, verse 32, it says, And of the children of uh, Issachar, uh, which were men that had understanding of the times. Mm -hmm. It's very clear. It says, men that had understanding of the times, Mm -hmm. to know what Israel ought to do. And so I think understanding the signs of the times is something that, as believers, uh, we have to keep our eyes open. For example, uh, we're living at a time, uh, one of the biggest signs that is, I can see is we're living in a time when the world is pretty much leveled by technology, which simply means uh, across the world you see um, the social media, the rise of social media, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. which has pretty much connected the world on, on, a, on a global stage yeah. where people across the world are connected. We are more connected in the world today than ever before in history. Yeah. And that is to say the possibility of all human beings coming under one governance is possible because of the way in which we are all connected through cell phones and Facebook, you name it, all oh. kinds of social media. That's, that's a very important sign of the times. 
even if you were to go back 50 years ago, uh, this was something mysterious for people. Well, how on earth could I see somebody face-to-face on a Skype? And, and so in, in real time, and that is a sign of how the world is so intricately connected to the point that, yeah. uh, you know, one journalist has written a book uh, by the name of Tom Friedman, a New York Times journalist, uh, uh, wrote a book, and the book title was The Flat World. Uh, the world has become flat in terms of technology. That is one sign. The second sign is we're all watching the news in the Middle East, and anything that happens in the Middle East uh, is always uh, a sign that points to uh, the, the staging of the end times. Now, people will say, well, we, we, we've always been hearing about Middle Eastern crisis. Uh-huh, but, but, yeah. but, the, but the gravity of the crisis in which we are seeing today, uh, the U.S. involvement in, in Iraq and Syria fighting the ISIS forces, which we will get to later, uh, these are all pointers out the destabilization of nations, uh, mm. destabilization of nations. And, and these are signs uh, that things are not what they ought to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I think with yeah. the leveling of the technology, as you're saying, it makes yeah. everybody on an equal playing yeah. field. <clears throat> everybody is exactly. kind of, even if they don't exactly. have all the same levels of money, they all have the same yeah. opportunities to communicate and um, yes. It makes, like you said, the global movement of, you know, whether right. it's a spiritual or a, t- uh, mm-hmm. a governmental mm-hmm. uh, agencies, mm-hmm. they can just kind of easily take that, you know, right. it becomes one quite easily. And then the Middle East. And could you, um, uh, you know, you talked about um, understanding the time from a Christian point of view. I think you've already kind of touched on that a little bit, how that mm-hmm. we are the ones that are looking for Jesus to come back. Um, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. in this looking for Jesus, we're near, you think we're near um, the end times? And in, where's the world heading with that? Right. Here's how I see it. Because, you know, um, rightly, rightly so, there could be many critics who will say, well, from the 1940s, people have been saying, or from centuries ago, people have been saying Jesus is coming and all that. But uh, what's going on? And I would say 1946 was a pivotal time in history when Israel became a nation. And that's a very massive sign, as the scripture talks about, uh, the regrouping of Israel in 1947, which happened. And so today, Israel is a nation. And uh, ever since from 1947, the last uh, few decades, uh, I, I, in my observation, uh, the way the politics, the way the culture, the way nations are right now in the world, um, I would say uh, the end times is pretty close. Uh, none of us mm-hmm. know the date mm-hmm. and the hour when yeah. Jesus will come. The scripture is very clear on that. We're not going to give dates and times. But I'm going to say that the... The, the nearness is very near, if I were to use that phrase. The nearness is very near. Um, we are witnessing some massive, uh, huge leaps in knowledge, uh, mm-hmm. massive leaps in technology, massive leaps in nation states. All of this to me, as, as, a, as a believer in the scriptures and one who watches the scriptures, I could say... I would say that um, we're at the threshold. We're at the threshold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I we're remember what Jesus said, um, as it was in the days of Noah, 
yeah. in Matthew 20. So it will also be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And in yeah. that section yeah. in Matthew 24, he talks about three different mm-hmm. things. He was talking about the mm-hmm. destruction of Jerusalem the first time and right. the coming of the Son of Man. And I think, uh, what was mm-hmm. the other one? They, anyway, he was answering mm-hmm. three different questions. And so, yeah. um, and even Paul says, well, you know, the, we're in the last days. That was 2,000 years mm-hmm. ago, but now mm-hmm. we're mm-hmm. in those days. So, um, you know, as Christians are seeing these things, and you said some of the Christians are paying more attention than most people, I guess I kind mm-hmm. of find it shocking that a lot of just ordinary people aren't paying more attention. Are they just like avoiding? They don't want to know? They're anxious? They, they, they're denying? Or what? Or they just really don't know or care, or they don't believe that this could possibly be Jesus coming again? What do you think? Right. You know what I think, honestly? Because some people are worried if they were to get to know about all these end times, um, yeah. they got to be prepared. So the fear of being prepared, you know, uh, keeps people away from this. They don't want to be prepared. They, they don't want to be under this, uh, this notion that things are going to come to an end. Uh, normally, people would love to just live life and assume that things are going to go on the mm-hmm. way they're going, go, they're going to go on. Uh, they, they don't want to face the reality. They are, they are in denial mm-hmm. of reality. Yeah, that's a good word. Mm-hmm. And right. the, the average, yeah, you know, the average Christian thinks, you know, it's, you know, things going to be okay and things going to happen. And yeah. it's, it's a denial of reality. And some could be ignorant, and some don't want to open these subjects. And of course, some people um, hesitate talking about end times because there are so many interpretations of that. Uh, but again, uh, that isn't to say we should not look upon end times because whether people like it or not, things are going to come to an end. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right, because I, I know, yeah, no. an observation too. What is your yeah. when your observation as far as in churches that you've uh, mm-hmm. you know seen around America uh, are are pastors and teachers talking about the end times or are they pretty much focused on uh, um, self help uh, plans for their people? What, would, what have you seen in that? Yeah, I think in my observation, yes. Yeah, in because the, in, the, in the Western Church, yes. Yeah, because I, um, you know, I know of uh, you know some family members that are at you know have visited various churches and they've even yeah. talked to their pastor. Said, "Hey, how come you don't talk about more about the end times? It's obviously just little you know self help formulas and that sort of thing. Not that we can't talk about how to." Help your family, mm-hmm. your attitude, mm-hmm. you know, and evangelism, and so forth. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, I think a lot of people avoid it, like you said, for the sake of yeah. uh, there's different interpretations, and maybe they figure, you know, people are going to freak out. But really, it's good news. It's bad news yeah. and good news all together. Mm-hmm. So yeah. <laughs> um, depends but, on what side uh, you're anyway, on. Anyway, I. I uh, Anyway, mm-hmm. but but you would see, would you say that there there's a kind of a lack of uh, of teaching on that in in the evangelical and uh, churches around the country? I think in the vast evangelical uh, landscape of America, uh, there has been some cynicism from some churches about end times, and again, you know, I'm sure some people gave dates and times and things didn't happen, and of course, I don't agree with giving dates and times, as you all know that. Uh, but you you can't throw the baby with the bathwater just because some people made a mistake doesn't mean right. that uh, it's it's not true or it's real. It's mm-hmm. it's it's the lack of uh, understanding or the denial of reality or 
people are uh, paranoid about end times. Uh, they don't want to talk about it because it produces anxiety within themselves. Uh, it, it makes them to question their own life. Yeah. It, it makes people to question their own presuppositions as to why yeah. they're living and why they're living for what they're living in this world. Yeah. You know, as of last year, you know, Billy Graham, our famous iconic evangelist in America, you know, is 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 never been very big on end times. But I think a year ago he was pretty much uh, talking a lot about end times, uh, and, and and a lot of messages came out of the Billy Graham evangelistic organization about how. Uh, the Graham organization is concerned for America and they want to pray for America in America. They are seeing things that are very important uh, in this in these days. And much of the churches are not talking about it because they're kind of caught up with the spirit of the age. The yeah, spirit of the age. Yeah, yeah. It's mm-hmm. Consumerism, even a kind of a Christian consumerism. You know, want to make people feel good and happy on a Sunday morning and don't want to load them with... Uh, with truths that will be true convicting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. Paul said, you know, notice that in the last days, perilous times will come. And then yes. as we referred back to, he already said, we're even now in the last times. But don't you think mm-hmm. that without talking about it, with not giving much uh, teaching on Jesus returning, the passion, the zeal, the uh, yes. urgency of his returning has been lost in... Um, you know, the wrappings of Christianity, so to speak. And I, I think in the book of Acts and, and in the New Testament, didn't they just, I mean, every day they looked for him to come back. They were just, you know, kind of yes. focused on that. Was, yes. Tell me about what do you, what do you, how do you see, is that, isn't that kind of what we're doing now? We're just not, the passion for the urgency is kind Absolutely. of. Absolutely. I think gone. that way because, you know, in much of the Asian world and in the Middle East world, including China, uh, the Christians there are living with an expectation that Jesus will come any time, uh, irrespective of the persecution that they are under, because mm-hmm. uh, what differentiates them from the Western world is those Christians who are living in those hostile nations yeah. uh, realize very well that uh, as Christians, one has to live with, the, with an eternal focus for our world, with an eternal mm-hmm. focus for our lives. And uh, they know that, that this life is not uh, all there is to it. There is a life to come. And mm-hmm. so they're very eternally conscious. In the West, uh, the churches are not eternally conscious. They're very conscious of the now. Uh, they just want to be concerned about now. Uh, mm-hmm. So there is no uh, you know, uh, awareness that there is an eternal perspective to life. Well, because the advancement of science uh, says... Well, you know, we can handle this. We can handle this. We can control this. People want to be in control. Yes, yeah. Well, and I think in in America too, there's hardly there's no persecution really. There's there's a lack of urgency that like in the Asian countries and whatnot, where the people are actually being martyred, and maybe that kind of leads into this next uh, question about the uh, the 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 conflicts that are going on with um, contention with Islam and stuff. Um, Could you talk about? the persecution, and obviously those people see their lives more in an eternal, they're willing to give their lives. They're willing to, they have, they, Mm -hmm. they, you know, they're being persecuted, Mm -hmm. tortured, jailed, imprisoned, um, Mm -hmm. being stripped of their families, being turned into refugees. I mean, I don't, is that, is that, I mean, that's common over there, isn't it? Kind of over on the other side. 
very commonplace. In fact, in the last two weeks alone, uh, you know, we've been hearing about how the Christians in Syria and Iraq have been being persecuted and mm-hmm. and the worst kinds of barbarism that they've been uh, under by the ISIS movement. And mm-hmm. again, these are Christians who are people without, um, uh, you know, very innocent people in that part of the world uh, mm-hmm. coming under tremendous attack and yet not giving up their faith. I was just listening to a documentary yesterday about uh, the Christians in Iraq. They were saying uh, nothing is going to stop us uh, in our faith in Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, and then the underground church in China had another message. You know, the the, the state in China was is trying to rip off crosses, and they were really worried mm-hmm. about the expansion of Christianity in China. And in, and one church leader in China says um, they may take the cross, the physical cross, from our church buildings, but they cannot remove it from our heart. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. they're living with that sense of deep passion and deep yeah. sense of attachment to Jesus. And I must add this. Uh, there is a bridal love for Jesus. That is mm, an expectation of the groom who's going to come back. Uh, that that brings a sense of a deep affection for the things of heaven. And mm-hmm. when you are affectionate, and that's why I think Paul even says, set your, affection, set your affections on things that are above and not on things that are on the world. Mm-hmm. And so people's affections will tell us where their heart is. Yeah. And in, 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 in those parts of the world, people are, Christians are uh, truly passionately waiting uh, for the coming of Jesus. Uh, and they're very much in touch with the, uh, with, with, within it, with the eternal perspectives to life. And to you, despite the persecution, yes. Yes. And now, uh, much of the perpetration of uh, persecution against the Christians mm-hmm. is coming through Islam, where the attitude is, you know, convert or we kill you. Um, yes. Can you can you talk a little bit about the uh, rise yes. of Islam uh, worldwide, Absolutely. their agenda? Yes. Uh, yes. And kind of, you know, in mm-hmm. uh, in America. See, and, you're yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Islam is the only religion uh, next to Christianity. Uh, <laughs> which is one of the biggest religions in the world. There are about 1.5 billion Muslims in the world. And I'm sure there are about a billion Hindus in the world. And Christianity ranks among 2.2 billion and above. And if you add um, Judaism and Catholicism, that will make it about 3 plus billion Christians. Now, I say this because um, uh, Islam is, is a close competition to Christianity in terms of size and number. Now, Unlike Christianity, uh, Islam also believes in the fact of global uh, domination. I mean, in, in, in our Christian faith, we are told by the Lord Jesus to go into all the world and preach the gospel. So we do believe mm-hmm. that we have a message for the world. And Muslims mm-hmm. also believe that they have a message for the world. In that sense, they are a proselytizing religion like mm-hmm. us, except the only difference is we share it uh, out of love and we communicate and and, and live it live, and, and leave the conviction to the Holy Spirit. Our message is not through force or persuasion. Ours is through the offer of love, what Jesus did for on the cross. Now, when the when the Islamic theology, again, um, Islamic theology is being looked upon by different sects of Islam. There are many many denominations within Islam, Sunnis and the Shiites and and all of that. And, but, but, but the dominant theme in Islam is 
that Prophet Muhammad is the final prophet and Quran is the final revelation of mankind. And, and those who don't accept the Quran um, sh- should be punished or uh, should be attacked. And there's explicit um, uh, condemnation against Christians and the Jews. And again, some Muslims will say, well, we don't follow that. Hey, good for you if you don't follow that. But but the theology says it. And, and, and a lot of uh, extremists and militant Muslims do act from the religious uh, invocation and so there is a sense of force and and also what is also pretty disturbing is if you are a Muslim and you and you you give up Islam and try to embrace another religion mm-hmm. uh, it's not easy in the Islamic world for example in, in Indonesia as a Muslim, if you convert to any other faiths apart from Islam, say you converted to Christianity or Hinduism or Buddhism, you are considered to be an apostate and you can be killed. And it is sanctioned in the Quran that if you leave Islam, you can be killed. Now, that doesn't speak good for the, the talk about peaceful Islam, you see. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Uh, again... It doesn't know. speak well about the, the love of Jesus either because his love is not a coercion and an intimidation no, and, a, no, is, and no. fear, even fear of hellfire is not a proper reason right, to be saved. Right, right, right. You're right, you're right. And after the September 11 attack in America, and you know, before that, you know, there were Muslims in America very quiet and they went about their lives. But mm-hmm. I think the September 11 opened up uh, a, a different scenario in the world and uh, where the Muslims felt convey a message to the Western world uh, that um, they're, they're about to do something that uh, they're, they're, they're calling for attention towards their religion. Ever since September 11, uh, there's a lot of talk about Islam in America and uh, a lot of Muslims in America uh, are moderate Muslims. So I, I get that because they live in this country and they have grown in this country. And so you will see that a lot of moderate Muslims in the Western world will say, well, we don't believe in violence and all of that. Uh, that's all right, but uh, the theology is different. The theology does prescribe uh, uh, hard measures for those who don't accept Islam. So Islam is growing. It is actually growing in Europe, uh, in a staggering growth in Europe. And uh, uh, polls show repeatedly that the most um, common name for uh, baby boys in Europe is Muhammad. Really? Mm-hmm. You know, and even in Great Britain, uh, there are parts of Great Britain that looks more like Islamic cities and towns than like Great Britain. And they say that I've estimated 6 million Muslims in America. And definitely in the last few decades, there has been a, a growth in the Islamic uh, expansion in Western Europe. And that is, again, is attributed to the fact that Christianity is not uh, um, alive. Uh, the, the churches are dead. Yeah. In Europe, it's more secularized. And in Great Britain, secularized. And that's the danger that we're also facing in America. Mm-hmm. So that Islam is trying to basically proselytize other exactly. nations. Exactly. It's trying to fill in. It's trying to fill in where we have to be doing our job in presenting Christ to be the most, you know, joyful, uh, you know. Uh, our salvation has tremendous uh, power. The gospel is full of power. The gospel is full of assurance. Uh, the gospel is full of truth. 
this has to be uh, preached with vigor and vitality, with passion, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, the secularist and the other religions see the waning away of Christianity and they try to plug the holes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, what, uh, other than, you know, there's, there's jihad and violent measures and mm-hmm. so forth, what are some of the other strategies that you're observing around the world uh, that uh, the Muslims are using to uh, spread their word? In Europe, in Europe, uh, uh, there is definitely, you know, uh, through biological reproduction, more Muslims are having more kids uh, mm-hmm. as opposed to the white, uh, uh, you know, people there having lesser children. And so that adds up to the sheer rise in uh, the population. That's one way of spreading themselves. And the other is very active in their propagation. Uh, They also uh, use the Western, um, you know, uh, byproduct, Western Western cultural value system like freedom and liberty. And and in fact, I feel like uh, our, our, our legislation, our our justice system is all being used uh, mm-hmm. towards a kind of um, uh, a reinterpretation of what freedom is or what secularism mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. Because they feel like, uh, you know, America is a free country. I'm supposed to be practicing my religion freely here. And uh, as a Muslim, I should be allowed to pray and do my stuff here in the name mm-hmm. of freedom, of religion. Yes, so they tolerance. use this. Uh, they use all these uh, Western uh, notion of liberty and freedom mm-hmm. and take advantage of that. Now, again, the movement of tolerance and multiculturalism in the Western world has opened an enormous door where mm-hmm. in the name of multiculturalism, some of us are silenced from commenting on things that uh, are not right. Because mm-hmm. if you say something against some other religion or some other people grouping, uh, mm-hmm. you can come under the axe of the multiculturalism uh, which was pretty much uh, that that will, uh, that 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 stops us from even critiquing them mm-hmm. because you know it, it's a free culture. You know, any everybody's allowed here, and as long as you don't hurt each other, you can live freely in this country. So, in a sense, uh, you know, multiculturalism in the Western world. I've talked about this at length in many places. Uh, there are pros and cons. The, the the positive side of multiculturalism is, you know, I like all cultures, but different cultures have different food and cuisine. And anything to do with taste, it's okay. But anything to do with truth, one must dispute. Anything to do with taste, you should celebrate. Anything to do with truth, you must dispute. If some other culture is presenting a different idea of truth, that can be disputed because at the end of the day, uh, uh, what matters really is truth. You know, does this mm-hmm. add value to life? And so, if you look at through that lens, you can see how, uh, in the name of tolerance, in the name of multiculturalism, a lot mm-hmm. of um, uh, other religions have taken shelter in the Western world. Yeah, and you know, like you're saying, truth, um, mm-hmm. anybody's truth. And you know, even in the churches now, there's a lot of ecumenicism and emergent oh, yes. uh, discussion yes. on what is truth. Your truth is as good as my truth, and Right. You know, we'll agree to disagree and tolerate and love one another, et cetera, et cetera. So um, with all of that multicultural, uh, you know, that also kind of silences the the voice Very of much. those of us who would say Jesus Christ is the truth. Mm-hmm. 
Um, nobody yeah. wants to hear about absolutes, and I think uh, <laughs> that becomes annoying to people. Or we we be looked at we're looked at as self righteous or judgmental. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk about that Correct. a little bit? You know, uh, in my seminars and talks, uh, I get this question all the time. You know, is there an absolute truth? And I say to people, yes, there is. Mm-hmm. Against the claims of modern relativism where people okay. will tell me that there are different shades of truth. And it's interesting enough, uh, people who, who, who argue with me uh, defending relativism, uh, mm-hmm. I ask them another question. I say, well, if you're asking me, um, is there absolute truth? I'm, I'm going to ask them back, is your question absolute or relative, you know? Uh, <laughs> Good. And you kind of pin them back on your own questions. Mm-hmm. I say absolute truth is non-negotiable. It stands by itself. In fact, truth no, needs no defense because truth stands by itself. And that is why even in the scripture, uh, when Jesus was in, 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 in Pilate's court and they were questioning him, uh, I think uh, Pilate asks him a question, what is truth? And uh, if you yes, read right. it carefully, Jesus doesn't respond to that question and the idea is Jesus, in fact, is saying to Pilate non-verbally, look at me, I'm the truth, you know, this yeah. is me, you're, 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 you're looking at truth. Um, yeah, we're looking for a definition of a, of a concept, and it's really embodied yes, in Christ. Yes, I, yes, I make that uh, differentiation. Truth is not merely a concept. It's not merely a social construct or a proposition. It is beyond a proposition. It is a being. Uh, oh. That truth is embodied in, in, in a being that Jesus Christ himself is. Uh, mm-hmm. And so philosophically, we can argue and dispute and uh, make a case for absolute truth. And, and by logical reasoning, we can make a case that truth is definition. Uh, truth by definition is as absolute. And, 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 and the relativist will have a hard time establishing their case because uh, even for them to defend their relativism, they have to stand on the on on the platform of truth and the platform of absolutism. So it kind of goes back and forth. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I say, well, uh, more than language, more than me giving you philosophical ideas, I want to point you to truth as a being. That is why Jesus said, "I am the way, the truth, and the life." Have you ever have you ever thought why Jesus would put that in that? In, in, in that sequence, uh, he says, I'm the way first, then the mm-hmm. truth, and then the life. Have you ever pondered why the way comes first, the truth comes second, and the life comes third? Uh, yeah, but you, tell, tell you us. Go ahead. It, is, it is amazing. God gave me a revelation on that. You see, many, many religions in the world talk about different ways of knowing mm-hmm. truth. And Hindus have their own ways, Muslims have their own ways, Buddhists have their own ways. And the question is, does that way point to a truth? All right, I granted you have some ways of knowing truth. I'll walk with you. I'll track with you. Show me the truth. And then the religions of the world will say, yeah, we've got some shades of truth. Muslims will tell me we've got some shades of truth. Hindus will tell me we've got some shades of truth. And my next question is, well, if you are showing me these shades of truth, what I'm then interested in is, does this truth really give you life or is it just, you know, a proposition? Does mm-hmm. it lead you to life? If it's not just knowing a way or just knowing a truth, ultimately truth should lead you to life. 
And that is why Jesus beautifully sums up and says, I am not just the way, not just the truth, but life too. Yeah. So in, in Christ, uh, in, in, the, in the Trinitarian aspect, in the Trinitarian composition, the way leads to truth and the truth leads to life. The, the litmus test is, does it lead you to life? And therefore, you know, I get so passionate when I talk about this because mm-hmm. uh, the scriptures are so full of life. Jesus said, I'm life. I am the resurrection, yeah. you know. Yeah. So Jesus mm-hmm. gives us life. And life more abundantly, yeah. as he promised. Abundantly. Now yeah. it makes more sense to me. Jesus is not only the way, he's also the truth, but he's also mm-hmm. life. Well, All just going back to one of the... Yeah, and that, and that kind of makes sense. And when you go looking back at the church, and a lot of people yeah. are, they're not even kind of like they haven't even got alive yet. They've, they've got the concepts, they've got the verbiage, yeah, but exactly. they haven't really come into a relationship that's no, vitalizing no. their life. There is, there is no dirt for books in the world which talks about different ways and different mm-hmm. ideas of truth. But the question is, do they give you life? Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. That's, you, that's, it's powerful, isn't it? If you have the and price, resurrection, you know, yeah, it and is. resurrection, it's, it is yeah. resurrection. It is resurrection. You know, it's powerful. You know, it is very, that's very why. powerful. Yeah. 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 So, so uh, I, I want to give our uh, listeners a, an opportunity to call in. Yeah. Uh, you're having a question. The number you uh-huh. can call is three four seven two one five eight zero five one. Uh, 347-215-8051. Give us a call if you have any questions or comments uh, for Reuben David. Now, uh, another question kind of related to what we've been talking about here. Uh, Could you talk a little bit about uh, the emergent church movement and how that relates to absolute truth? The emergent church movement, interestingly enough, in my analysis, is a byproduct of New Age movement. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because in the New Age movement, anything goes. Everything is open for interpretation. And New Mm -hmm. Age movement can be traced back to Hinduism. Because in Hinduism, there is no definitive understanding of what truth is. Because Hinduism also says to us, it's open for interpretations. If you ask a Hindu, um, is your religion dogmatic? They'll say, no, it's a way of life. It's a way of life. You can take up Hindu ideals, Hindu notions, Hindu traditions, and mm-hmm. prescribe for yourself a way of life. And that is what was pretty revolutionary when that Hindu thought came to the Western world, in, interestingly enough, in the late 18th century. The first Indian philosopher who came to America was in the late 18th century and he spoke at the World Congress of Religions in Chicago and uh, he talked about how Hinduism is an open religion and all of a sudden you know the the, the, the current uh, uh, Christian uh, traditionalists in the Western world at that time saw wow uh, this is an interesting religion it, it, it says it's open for all it's open yeah. for interpretation and from that grew this old notion of uh, trying to reinterpret scriptures, trying to find out make your own scripture, make your own thing, and that's mm-hmm. how New Age came about. And from that, because the evil one took that to extreme, and even within the Christendom, uh, the lies started popping up in the minds of some other liberal theologians who began mm-hmm. to question the very integrity, accuracy, and uh, and and the veracity of the scriptures. 
Sure, because if you have, if you think of the word freedom, and it's all about uh-huh. freedom, being free to define yeah. your own life and your own way of yeah. life, then Hinduism yeah. or a mixture of it plus New Age gives that person Absolutely. tremendous freedom uh-huh. to redefine uh-huh. themselves and their life as they mm. as they want. Yeah, just right. a comment uh, comment on this, uh, Ruben. Uh, you know, we uh, uh, and are involved in ministry in a lot of. Uh, we share Christ at a lot of uh, New Age festivals where there are a lot of mm-hmm. young adults attending. Mm-hmm. And one of the mm-hmm. common themes that we uh, see in them and hear from them is mm-hmm. that they have maybe had some experience with Christian religion. You know, they may not have necessarily been born again, but what they have seen of the church has turned them mm-hmm. off. And mm-hmm. now they're saying, hey, we want this open interpretation, we, you know, we're looking elsewhere, and they're tremendously attractive to these concepts that you're talking about in Hinduism, where you look at this, it's a way of life, you can open up yourself to all these right. things and supposedly find, mm-hmm. find freedom. Well, can I comment as well, just a question as yeah. well. When you're comp- you grew up in a country um, where there was both Islam and Hinduism and Buddhism. Um, could you yeah. kind of compare those three uh, it sounds like the is, Islam is more of a of a violent or a, a militaristic yeah. kind of Hinduism is a little more laid back and you know could you and, and Buddhism can you kind of describe those you being you knew you knew the culture there well how oh, yeah, would you define definitely. them differently how would put it this way Hinduism is by and large a very pacifistic religion okay. uh, it doesn't have, advocate any means of um, of violence to propagate itself because it doesn't believe in uh, proselytizing or it doesn't believe that it offers any good news for anybody. It doesn't believe in any absolute way of knowledge. It simply says, uh, we are here. If you want to try us, try us. If you want to take us and make it yours, you can do that. And uh, so Hinduism, by its own theology, is is a religion that is very pacifistic, very open to interpretation, and also the fact uh, Hinduism is a religion that is so is, 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 is so wrapped up in mysticism. The mm. the appeal the appeal is the mystical element that there are things in this world that we don't know that there are things in life that we don't know and so mm-hmm. we can we can jump and embrace not knowing certain things and experience uh, mm-hmm. the the transcendence that is out there. And, mm-hmm. of course, all this language of transcendence, uh, every religion talks about it, but in Hinduism, there is no clear definition of what this transcendence is. It's just mm-hmm. that the mystery is out there to experience. And as Christian, I know what that mystery is. is Christ revealed. God revealing himself in Christ is the greatest mm-hmm. mystery. To them, the mystery is still out there. and they are. Mm-hmm. So Hinduism is, by and large, a religion of mysticism, a religion that has no clear dogmatic teaching on truth, what truth is. Uh, mm-hmm. And Hinduism, again, doesn't seek to advance itself. It doesn't have, it doesn't have anything like a great commission. And mm-hmm. so therefore, Hinduism prescribes itself as, as a way of life. Now, mm-hmm. most Hindus in India who live there are, would, would end up pra- uh, practicing what is called as creation worship. So Paul is very clear in Romans. Some people have given up the creator for the creation. There's mm-hmm. all kinds of the created order is being worshipped in Hinduism. Nature is worshipped and animals mm-hmm. are worshipped. 
Mm-hmm. And out of this stream of Hinduism came Buddhism. Now, Buddha was a Hindu. Buddha was a Hindu mm-hmm. who grew disenchanted with Hinduism on two grounds. One is uh, being a Hindu princess. I mean, he was a rich man, he was a princess. Uh, he couldn't quite get to understand the caste system in Hindu religion. Mm-hmm. I believe okay. in the legends, the legends have it that Buddha was taking a walk in his palace as a young princess and he saw a poor man on the road and he suddenly thought to himself, why is that I'm rich and some people are poor? And he just couldn't wrap his mind around the idea that some could be born at the lower end of the totem pole and others could be in the higher end. And somehow mm-hmm. caste system kept people uh, under domination and uh, subordination for centuries. He just couldn't understand how God would do that. So he gave up Hinduism on that ground. And also... Uh, Buddha rejected the idea of a personal God. Uh, he, could, he couldn't believe that a being called God existed. In fact, mm-hmm. Buddha uh, ended up becoming an atheist. Most people don't know this. Buddha oh, wow. was an, became an atheist. So Buddhism is an atheistic religion. It has mm-hmm. some moral teachings, but it is an atheistic religion which borrows some tradition from Hinduism and uh, some disciplines out of Hinduism, but it is not a religion in the conventional sense which has an idea of God. It's an atheistic religion. And, but Buddhism has also made a massive uh, comeback in the Western world because Buddhism ties itself to uh, some form of science called the quantum science. And that's, again, a totally different chapter that I can talk a lot about that, how Buddhism wed itself to science and is appeals to the modern man as a stress reliever by practicing meditation. The whole field of meditation and yoga, these are all uh, forms of both Hinduism and Buddhism mixed together. And the reason they're very much in, uh, appealing to the Western world is because the Western man is a busy man. He wants to mm-hmm. de-stress himself and he's tired of the mm-hmm. drugs. He's tired of trying every Western way. And mm-hmm. suddenly comes this Eastern Oriental practice which says, breathe in and breathe out. You know, it looks very cool, very novelty. And so that's why these religions have a pretty much uh, a hold in this part of the world. Interesting, interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that... Um, uh, the Buddhists are atheists and they believe yeah. in science and the yeah. absolute. And again, of course, uh, with going back to Hinduism, just to comment uh, on the mysticism and the transcendence, um, mm-hmm. if they have no guidelines as we do, I mean, we, in, in the yeah. word it talks about miracles and the mysteries of God and, and the mysteries of uh-huh. iniquity and stuff. But if they have mm-hmm. no guidance, then anything can be mystical. Anything or, goes. And the anything enemy goes. as an angel right. of light can easily yeah. get in there and manifest himself as some mystical being, some Correct. spirit guide, some Correct. guru, some whatever. And so uh, a lot of their, um, I think a lot of their misguiding things uh, uh-huh. come through this doorway of seeking mm-hmm. again the unknown like mm-hmm. Eve did to, to know more, uh, the, the forbidden. And of course, mm-hmm. that's just a comment, but I can see where, that door is wide open, especially with the disillusioned young people of this of this country. Um, they're yes. looking for something that's purposeful, meaningful, and of course, you mix that with drugs, and you have this, you know, ecstasy right. and mysticism and trips they go uh-huh. on, and um, and they they just love to escape, and this is one of the ways they do it. So some people, I think, are a little right. more serious about their mystical experiences, and some of them are 
Um, and I think that's come into the emergent church. What do you think? Uh, this, uh, yeah. you know, the candles, yeah. the labyrinths, the ringing of the bells, right. the, all that yeah. stuff that they do. Is, and, and even Catholic has a lot of that mystical stuff yeah. in it. Um, oh, yeah. So Very I don't know if so. you're Very familiar with so. Catholic a lot, but I mean, maybe you are, yeah, but yeah. They, they also have all the miracles and the mystical and the, uh, the mystics, you know. And uh, so that all becomes something appealing, drawing. Uh, we, we can, again, find ourselves in our own kind of religion and our own individual religion. But um, so back to some of the questions that we had talked about earlier. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what, uh, Ruben, tell us about what, what are you seeing um, uh, in the evangelical church in America? I know that covers a lot of territory, but uh, are there some things... Uh, Danger signs, uh, hopeful signs, or what? What are you seeing? What? What it seems to be? Is there something is it, missing? Uh, or are uh, they moving towards mm-hmm. a globalism? Yeah. What, what are you? You seeing? know, my my yeah yeah. That's, that's a very powerful question. But my my biggest concern is this: the 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 vast evangelical uh, landscape in America. Again, you know, uh, you know, there are, there are there are different streams in evangelicalism. In fact, the word evangelicalism has to be redefined now because it is not what it was meant to be, you know, in the, in the, in the classical sense. It simply meant those who are evangelical will believe in the core teachings of the Bible. And I think that definition is now uh, no more the yardstick to measure because people will say I'm an evangelical, but again, your theology is not in correspondence mm-hmm. to what the scriptures say. So my concern is the is the loss of biblical authority. Oh, the yeah. loss of yeah. biblical authority. Uh, evangelical churches um, have to be so careful in maintaining biblical authority, number one. Second, again, I think is taking a public stand for the convictions of who Jesus is mm-hmm. and not giving in to uh, the nuances and, and the traditions and, 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 and the force of culture uh, that says, well, we can reinterpret this and shape this and shape this out. And, uh, you, you need to be clear on your stand. I don't know mm-hmm. how many evangelical leaders are clear on their own stand on who Jesus is because the political correctness is all around us. Yeah, yeah, all around yeah. us. And yeah. we've got to swing through the sharks <laughs> the political correctness see and we can do that because we have the Holy Spirit with us and that's uh, I I see a need for an openness a need for uh, returning Mm -hmm. back to the orthodoxy of our convictions and the word God yeah also yeah yeah exactly and the other Um, thing also I see yeah exactly I just want to comment real quick on this loss of the biblical authority um, that you see as one of the erosions what, can you give a couple of examples of what that loss or lack of biblical authority is? Is it are like we're not what? How are we losing our right. authority? Yeah. See, the reason now why we have you know the rise of the gay movement in America is it's not peculiar to the secularized America. It's also among the Christian circle. Now, mm-hmm. some Christians would say, well, we are Christians. We believe in the Bible. But, you know, this particular aspect of the scripture in the Old Testament did not really mean this. And when Paul wrote this, he didn't really mean this. And this textual criticism uh, that people are doing is, is, is what I call as challenging the 
um, challenging the, uh, the, the scriptures uh, that are very clear and, 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 some, and some scriptures are not negotiable. I mean, you cannot mm-hmm. negotiate with those scriptures. Yeah. Uh, that is where the challenge, the challenge comes in people trying to negotiate with the scriptures yeah. and mm-hmm. reinterpret them. That's a very specific area of even human sexuality, human sexual orientation is now mm-hmm. uh, under debate and mm-hmm. redefinition. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and some churches are okay with accepting them because they say, well, uh, we don't need to agree with the Bible in this area. That can be reinterpreted. Yeah, yeah we can pick and choose. I guess I, I get what yeah. you're saying. And I think yeah, another yeah. loss of biblical authority is not standing up for the truth or not. The, the, Jesus said, preach the gospel, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the yeah. dead, cast out demons. And that authority is yeah. not being used either. We're that is relegating. not being used. Exactly. No. See, we're, we're, sending people not... to the, we're sending people, sick people, to the secular arena for drugs and, and whatever. Right. Instead of, you know, right. you and God has given us as the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But, and you were yeah, going to say, I what mean, was the second thing you were going to say about the... The second thing is, in some evangelical churches, the Holy Spirit is not even talked about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was shocked in some of the churches that I go and preach. I mean, there's hardly a talk about the third person of the Trinity. Mm-hmm. And uh, in, in one church, I, I won't name it, even uh, one of the church uh, you know, senior members told me, I've never heard much teaching on the Holy Spirit, and I've been here for years. Mm. And why is that? People are trying not to talk about the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is so important in our lives. It is a third person of the Trinity. Mm-hmm. And that is, to me, very uh, concerning, um, that I the think, fullness of the gospel. Yeah, the mm-hmm. fullness of the Trinity. Well, you know, the, the, the Holy Spirit, isn't he the one who was sent by God uh, you know, through Jesus Christ to lead us. He's actually yeah. dwells inside of us to lead us in all truth. And so he's the one that should mm-hmm. be the most intimate, the most close to us. He's you right. know, helping us to walk in the spirit and giving us wisdom, mm-hmm. discernment and the gifts and the fruits of the spirit. And yet I mm-hmm. think a lot of people are trying to do their religion on their own. And right. their own strength. so they, they don't give the Holy spirit his rightful position as mm-hmm. um, their, their, um, God and you know their help. Right, right. Uh, I'm yeah. gonna throw I'm gonna throw a big one at you here, brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I read a uh, according to Barna research, and I read recently that we have in America the age, of the age group 18 to 24. There's mm-hmm. only an estimate about one half of one percent of those young adults have a biblical worldview. That My. is disastrous. What is really do you disastrous. have any any suggestions of how that can be reversed? Again, we have to go back to the fundamentals of the scriptures. Uh, we have to infuse a, a, a new passion for even understanding and the Bible and the scriptures, and this can be only began in, you know, starting as, uh, in smaller measures and as doors open for us. And that is also one of the goals in my teaching and in my preaching. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm so concerned and I, it really burdens my heart to see uh, what these polls are showing us, you know, the mm-hmm. total lack of not knowing these things. Mm-hmm. 
This is coming mm-hmm. from years and years and years of demonic indoctrination, uh, yeah. you know, apathy, um, yeah. people just not being uh, exposed to the Word of God through the pulpit and through their yes. uh, churches. And it's, you know, it's it's really taking a toll. Also, I think one of the other things just to comment is the yeah. family is so eroded. Yeah. And you know, find, a topical uh, sermon on a Sunday morning with 20 minutes of time, you know, mm-hmm, what mm-hmm, are people yeah. going to get out of that? <laughs> yeah. Right. Right, right. Enough to survive all week on one twenty-minute meal. <laughs> oh my, twenty-minute yeah. meal. Mm. Yeah, all week. Well, what what all do you week. feel are what do you feel are some things that the evangelical church in America could learn from um, the church in other parts of the world? Are there some things? Yeah. Uh, what. What uh, what could we take heed to? You mentioned earlier about right. the persecution, people were standing, but what right. are some good lessons that perhaps we could learn here and apply uh, yes. from the uh, the church in mm-hmm. other nations? So the, the, the church in America is driven largely by a spirit of what I call as the evangelical entrepreneurial spirit it's kind of a competition oh, yeah. i've got the most i've got the best programs and the most programs mm-hmm. than your church has it's kind of the keeping mm-hmm. up with the joneses of the other churches the churches <laughs> in, 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 <laughs> in the asian world are not driven by programs but they're driven by prayer ah. Ah. you don't see that too is... many programs it's not like a buffet of assortment of classes of you enter a church in india or in middle east it's like okay uh, what we are more important, more, more concerned here is how do we draw into the presence of God? And so there's, mm-hmm. there's a tradition of uh, all-night prayer meetings in India. I have hardly seen an all-night prayer meeting in America in my 15 years of living here. Uh, in India on a Friday night, we go all night long praying from 10 o'clock in the night to 5 o'clock in the morning. And this is every week this happens. Wow. And people draw themselves into Extended hours of being in the very presence of the mm-hmm. Lord, and that means a lot of sacrifice. You've got to sacrifice your sleep. You're going to sacrifice your priorities. Yes, you've got to pay something to get something. And, and in, yeah. in the Christian walk, if you want to have the Shekinah glory coming into your presence, you've got to give God time. Mm-hmm. And in the Western world, we script uh, God into yeah. our own time slot. Yeah, we give God time. We allot in time when he needs all our time. Mm-hmm. And so that, I would say, is a, a lesson for the Western church as it looks around the world. Why is there is so much of exuberance and revival in those parts of the world not, and not here? That is because there people are passionately paying a price for their convictions in Jesus, are pursuing the presence of God, regardless of what life throws at them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, it may change. I think persecution, um, whatever yeah. is coming upon America, whatever God has okay. planned, may push us into all whole night prayer meetings or urgencies. Right. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, you, you, I'm sure have seen a lot of cultural shocking things, uh, culturally shocking yeah. things in, in crossing oh, yeah. the ocean. Um, mm-hmm. Is there anything else? I, a couple more things, you know, before we wrap this all up. Um, we, you know, we'd love to have you on again, but I want you to tell us a little bit how people can contact you because I think that is really important. But before we do that, mm-hmm. can you, is there any other kind of a summary of what we've mm-hmm. talked about tonight? I think we've right. kind of 
what people can do, how we can pray for each mm-hmm. other, how we can pray, ask mm-hmm. God to help us, anything like that. Right, right. You know, I I would say this uh, for those who are listening to this podcast. You know, uh, let us seek the Lord um, uh, in a, in a deeper, passionate way, and let us be mindful of the fact that we are living in the end times, and that uh, there's no denying of it. And mm-hmm. the coming of the Lord is near, and no matter what happens in this world, you know, the the, the threat of persecution, the threat of war. As Christians, as believers, as children of God, God will keep us. God will protect us. But he wants us to live life with an eternal perspective. I'm mm-hmm. reminded of the word that John Knox, the great revivalist in Scotland, used to pray. He would say, Lord, stamp eternity on my eyes, that when I wake up every day, I will live life with an eternal perspective. I pray that God will stamp eternity on the eyes of those who are listening to this, yes. that we may live life from an eternal perspective and seriously intercede for America, intercede mm-hmm. for our nation, for our beloved nation, that there will be another major sweep of revival, bringing in hordes and thousands of people into the kingdom of God. I desire to see that, and that's my desire for America. And in my all my teaching and preaching ministry, I want to reawaken, refresh, revive, and usher in a desire for the presence of God and for the revival in our churches. That's my heartbeat uh, in all my ministries. And for yes. those who would love to be in touch with my ministries, can uh, reach me uh, on my email, um, contactruben at gmail.com, contactruben at gmail.com, or you know, visit my website, truthspeakinternational.org truthspeakinternational.org and I'll also put out my phone number 612-501-8540 I would uh, desire the prayers of uh, everybody and you do um, also you do speaking engagements and uh, you're available for various church um, things like that or Bible studies and teaching seminars and um, yeah, yeah, so if anybody wants more, to hear more of Reuben David, we would encourage you to check out what he's just given. Or um, your website, again, is uh, truthspeakinternational.org. Is that what you said? That's Truth, right. That's truthspeakinternational.org. Yeah, and, and um, in one final question, as you have, I've just really enjoyed um, our, our show tonight, but I've also enjoyed listening to you as you've, done the apologetics on God. It's just fabulous how you're able to address the issues of science and all kinds of things that people have all these objections they have to our Heavenly Father and, and whatnot. But um, do you ever get discouraged when you look at what you see over here and you kind of you know know what it could be and what you're looking at? I know you've been sent here sort of as an evangelist, but how do you deal with maybe a, a bit of, I don't know if you get discouraged, maybe you don't even consider that but how do you stay <laughs> encouraged <laughs> well it's uh, the constant uh, now the, the assurance that uh, this is what God would have me do and uh, you know the prayers of my mother was now with the Lord and uh, her legacy is that uh, she wanted me to continue what I was doing and of course her prayers for me and uh, you know the enemy of course uh, discouragement he brings and uh, he'll try it <laughs> 
Uh, when I go back to the Lord and say, Lord, you are my strength and you are That's my right. love and you are my encouragement. Uh, you keep me encouraged. Uh, my prayer is that, Lord, you will hide me behind the cross uh, so that you will be seen and not me. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. And you have eternity stamped on your eyes. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> well, we hope to see you again soon. And um, thank you again for sharing with us tonight. And we'd love to have another time with you so we can talk about yeah. God um, and your concepts, teachings on the Heavenly Father and that sort of thing. So um, thank you again, Ruben. And for those of you who were listening tonight, thank you. Um, touch, touch base with Ruben's website. And um, there's going to be more to come on that, I am sure, as we have just right. given you. You were with us at camp this summer. That was awesome. Again, thank you for yeah. that. And thank you um, so much. So the Lord be with you, and uh, thank you. Good night, and everyone, <laughs> check out the website with Ruben. Thank you. Thank you so much, thank Ruben, you. and thanks to everyone for listening. And have a good night or good day, whatever you're listening to this. Mm-hmm. Okay. God bless. God bless. Life Recovery offers a wide variety of books, teaching manuals, CDs, and DVDs, all designed to expose Satan's lies and equip believers with the powerful weapons of spiritual warfare. I have an emergency. What is your location? Because there's a war for your soul.